Well, all right, you can go ahead and have a seat. It's good to see you. It's great to see you here. You know, I, I, was, I came this morning from uh, the Weekend Remember Conference downtown, and um, it's a great conference. You learn a lot. Um, but if anything else, I was just with my wife without kids. I love my kids dearly, um, but pawned them off on uh, the in-laws. So uh, that was a good time. I want to uh, let you know a few things by way of announcements. But you see all these eggs up here? We have over 6,000 eggs already. Last year we only had 4,500. This year we have over 6,000 eggs. So needless to say, we don't need any more eggs. But we do need candy to fill them, right? So over the next few weeks, we need you to bring candy to fill these eggs. What we're going to do right now is starting up here. Okay, I need to give instruction for this because a lot of times when we pass around sign-up sheets, they don't get all the way around. It's going to start up in this corner. What I want to happen is I want it to go all the way across. The whole thing, and then go back a row, all the way back across, then go back a row, all the way back across, okay? And what you're going to sign up for is March 28th, there's a work day. We're going to fill all these eggs with candy, and we're going to go door to door and invite all of our neighbors, right? The neighbors to this, this church, and then we'll give you invites to bring home and invite your actual neighbors where you live. Um, and then you also need to sign up if you want to come help set up for the Easter egg hunt on April, 4th, on April 4th is the Easter egg hunt. All right, so those sign-ups are going to come around. Another thing I want to mention is right after this service, there is going to be a meeting for anyone who is interested in even just learning any more about our Haiti trip this year. Every summer, uh, a, a group of people goes to Haiti. And so right after this, you're going to meet with Bob Vaughn and learn about that trip. They go to Pignon, Haiti. I probably butchered that. But you can't say it either. So uh, so if you're interested, okay, if you're even interested, whether you think you can go or not, come to that meeting after this. Uh, let's spend some time just praying together. One thing we're going to learn about this morning and that I am just been mulling over in my head this week is, is the grace of God in the fact that when I fail to stand with him, he always takes me back. He always forgives. His grace is sufficient for my failures. And so we're going to learn about that in the denial of Peter this morning and kind of the remedy for that. And I'm excited about that. So with that on our minds and being thankful for the grace of God, let's go before him and pray. And our offering is going to come around during our next song. If you're a guest, just look under the seat in front of you. There is a pencil and a guest form uh, that you can fill out. You don't have to give to the offering, but we, we would love it to have your information to reach out to you. So you can fill that out, put it in the offering bag as it comes around. Let's pray together. And God, we, uh, even just in my mind right now, life is, is, uh, is happening after this service. And so God, I, I pray that for everybody in the room, we would be able to slow down in the focus, just in this moment, in these moments understanding that we're in your presence, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are God, and I am not. And I don't know the future. I don't know five minutes from now. God, and I don't know why you do everything you do. But what I do know is that I can trust you and that I can sit in these moments in your presence and worship you. It's all because of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that now, even as we give, that we would give joyfully. God, knowing that the only way our possessions and, and our money can be multiplied is if we give it back to you. And so, um, God, just find us giving with joyful hearts. We need you, and we love you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. To be a Christian, torture, beheadings, destruction. The highest level of persecution of Christians. A church congregation barricading themselves in from hundreds of riot police. Are enduring attacks for their faith like Along never with the savage before. kidnappings of Christian schoolgirls in Nigeria by Boko Haram and the burning of Christian images of violence dominate headlines. Christians are being warned they have a choice: convert to Islam, pay a very steep price, or face death. Chilling new video showing the beheading of 21 Egyptian Christians. Beheadings of 21 Christians. 21 Christian men beheaded by Islamic State. The title of the video is a message signed with blood to the nation of we the cross the, the sharpest jump in violent uh, attacks against christians we need to make the persecuted church an issue of prayer that's real like right now those kind of things are taking place in this world it's crazy to me we live in the united states where we don't really see a lot of that but i'm watching this video and i'm blown away that like someone has that much love and passion for Jesus that they will say no matter what, I am standing for my Savior. If you take me to be beheaded, I'm still going to stand for my Savior. That's real. That happened. Like that really happened recently. I think maybe we think a little bit that those kind of things happened years and years ago or in the time of Jesus uh, when he was on earth. Um, but that really happens right now. What if you were posed with that question? What if you were asked to deny Christ? I mean, we just looked at 21 men who would not deny their Savior. And they were willing to give life because of it. Real question, what, what would you do? I mean, we're not facing that right now. But what if somebody came up to you and asked you, deny Christ or you're going to lose your life? I hope all of you guys are asking yourselves what you would do in that situation because it seems crazy to me. And I don't know, standing up before you guys, if I could say I would proclaim Christ to my death. I don't know if I could honestly say that. Because all of these things start overwhelming me like my family and what would be lost here on earth, right? I get all these fears and insecurities. That's just thinking about being asked the question. That's not even being in that situation. So that blows me away. I asked my son. He didn't know what I was speaking on. I didn't talk to him about it. I just started asking him some random questions. He never seemed surprised by this. So <laughs> I said, Colin, do you love Jesus? He said, yes, obviously. I said, with all your heart. He said, yes. No doubts? No. Actually, he yelled at me, no. Then uh, I said, what if some of your friends at school asked you to, to bash Jesus, say you don't believe in him? I would never do that. I said, okay. What if somebody said they were going to beat you up if, if you wouldn't deny Christ? He said, well, I wouldn't do it. I would never deny Christ. He said, and I'd run away from them. I didn't want to break it to him that uh, he runs like his grandfather, so that's it's not going to help him anyway. <laughs> but 
He said, never would I deny it. Then I asked him a question. I said, what if somebody had a gun to your head and said they would shoot you if you wouldn't deny Christ? So I just told you how I respond. Here's how my son would respond. He said, if I got dead anyway, then I'd get to go see Jesus. <laughs> From a child. Peter was, was not even posed that question. Jesus just pretty much told him, you're going to deny me. When he was faced with that reality, that Jesus believed that he was going to deny him, he didn't like it. If you turn to Mark chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 27. So we're going to backtrack a little bit to what we've talked about already. You've seen this progression through Mark, and this has been really cool, how we've been able to go through the book of Mark leading up to Easter. You see the Easter eggs out. That means it's coming. We're coming to the end of Mark, and we're coming to Easter Sunday, and we've been setting it up along this way. So if we go back, they just had the Last Supper, and Jesus is speaking, Mark 14, chapter 27, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the shepherd will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if, I all, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others uh, said the same. Peter was posed with that question, or, or it wasn't even the question. He just said, you're going to disown me. And Peter emphatically said, I will never, even if I have to die, I will never disown you. See, see, Peter walked with Jesus. He lived life with Jesus. His master was his friend right there on earth. And he, he knew exactly who he was. He got that part of it. And so what he knew was, if anyone would ever come to me and ask me to, to disown you, I would never do it. I'd go to my death. I think that's probably our reaction if we look at it. If I'm forced I would try and hope to say, Jesus, I would never disown you. I know in our small group, we asked the question a few weeks ago, would you do whatever Jesus asked you to do, no matter what it was? Leave your family, die for him, go move to another country, whatever it is. We ask the question, and, and we have mixed responses because we really, really want to say yes, no matter what. I would do this. But it's also, if we're being really honest, see... I don't know. I don't know if I could say that. So we want to be like Peter and say, never, I would go to my death. If I had to disown you, I would never do it. I would even go to my death. And so we continue on, but we're going to jump over to John. Kyle kind of explained the four Gospels, how they work, and the disciples' different perspectives. Um, and John gives the account of Jesus' arrest and how Peter responded to that I, I kind of call John the tattletale of the disciples because Matthew Mark and Luke would not out Peter for being the one to cut off the ear of the soldier but John had no problem with it apparently <laughs> so uh, he said Peter did it none of the others would would say that so I don't know if he had something against Peter or if he just liked the details of the story a lot better 
But we're going to look in John chapter 18, starting in verse 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read through it. You know the story. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley on the other side, and there was Olive Grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, gilding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of, Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words who had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of these you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So there's Peter. Uh, this is just moments. I don't know how long, but this is soon after that Jesus has said, Peter, you're going to deny me. Okay? So there they are. The soldiers are there to arrest Jesus. We know what's coming. They know what's coming. They're going to take Jesus, and the end is going to be crucifixion. Peter, right there in the presence of Jesus, grabs a sword and is ready to die for Jesus. He's ready, right there. I mean, he said he would die for Jesus, and right there, albeit, you know, foolishly, he, he swings at the soldier's ear, or he probably didn't even swing at his ear, he just swung at him cut off his ear, but he, he knows that he would die for Jesus in that moment. In the very presence of his master, he's ready to die for him. I want you to get that. It wasn't the right decision. That's not what Jesus wanted him to do. But if you're swinging swords at a soldier that's coming to arrest Jesus, more than likely, you're going to be killed. Now, we saw what it said in there and that, that Jesus' followers would be protected in that moment. But Peter was ready to die for him. That we can't miss as we read the rest of this story. So, so far, Peter's kind of following through on what he said. He wouldn't deny him. Right there when his master's being arrested, he's willing. He's willing to give up his life. But one big thing about that is he was in the very presence of Jesus. Jesus was right there by his side. He was seeing this take place. He was watching his master be arrested. So we turn to John, or back to Mark 14, and this is our, our key passage here. Mark 14, verse 66. So Kyle talked last week. Obviously, we know he's arrested. We just read that. Now he's on trial. Jesus is on trial. He's taken, and, and they're questioning him, and we know the outcome. Kyle talked about that last week. But Peter's staying close, and he's in the car, courtyard, and that's what's going on here. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. 
and went into the entryway, went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And I'll read the rest of that in here in a little bit. So, Peter's a little bipolar, schizophrenic. In the presence of Jesus, he was willing to give up his life. He took out a sword. He went to fight. And now look what happens. Jesus is not with him. He's not physically in his presence. He's in the courtyard close. And a girl comes up to him and she says, weren't you with Jesus? And what overtakes him? Because in that moment he says, I don't know him. Isn't that crazy? He just took out a sword and swung out a soldier for Jesus. And they didn't arrest him. So Peter doesn't know that that he was going to be protected. He, he didn't read that part of Scripture. He doesn't know that was coming, right? So Peter just saw himself swing a sword at a soldier, a bunch of soldiers around, and they did not arrest him. And they did not try to kill him. And they did not want to put him up on the cross instead of one of those thieves that were with Jesus. Wouldn't you think that would have put all the confidence in the world in Peter that I can swing a sword at a soldier and cut off an ear, and they're not going to do a thing to me. I mean, soldiers right here in front of him. But now a girl, a young servant girl, comes up to him and says, weren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And he says, no. What changed? This is just a few moments later. They didn't arrest you, Peter. They didn't try to kill you. They all had swords. You could have been done like this. It didn't happen. Yet now a servant girl with no sword, no army behind her, says, do you know Jesus? And in an instant you say no. And then again, this is one of Jesus' followers. No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know him. And then it says the third time, like, he's yelling. He's swearing. Like, this fear is overcoming Peter, and he's swearing, I don't know Jesus. I don't know who he is. I don't know this man. What changed? I keep saying it. In the presence of his master, he was willing to die for him. Jesus is right by his side. He's seeing him take away, taken away, and he doesn't want it to happen. And so he's willing to die. Moments later, when his, his master's not by his side, when he is not in his presence, he'll deny to anyone who asks. And so I asked myself, so... If I am fellowshipping with Christ, if I am developing relationship with Jesus, if I am pursuing him and I am reading his words and I am praying to him and I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is, is living 
in me and, and showing me all of these things and active? Am I like Peter? Am I willing to go to any length to fight for Jesus, to proclaim him to anyone who would ask? And if, if I'm doing my own thing and I'm ignoring the word of God and my relationship with Jesus is just something that I come across every once in a while and I'm not actively pursuing that and the Holy Spirit is not actively showing me things, is it really easy for me to say, no, I, I, I don't want to tell that person about Jesus Christ? See, Peter was in the presence of Jesus and he was willing to die. Peter lost Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. And he was willing to tell anyone, I don't know him. To the point of, so the reality was these disciples were not superheroes. Excuse me. They weren't superheroes. They were real men just like us. Real people. That faced the same kind of insecurities and demons and fears that we face. And they knew Jesus. I mean, they knew him. They walked with him. They saw him perform miracles. They performed miracles with him. And as soon as he got away from Jesus, what overtakes him? Satan starts whispering in his ears. You know, if you tell that person that you know, you tell that girl, you know Jesus, you're going to be killed. They're going to take your life. She's going to go run and tell, what, the soldiers who he just attacked. (laughs) She's going to run and tell them. And you're going to lose your life. And so without his eyes on Jesus, without that presence there, those insecurities and fears overtake him. And he says, I don't know him. Emphatically, I do not know this man. That's me. (laughs) That is me. I know in my life, in those times where I am actively pursuing my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know, I see the Holy Spirit is active in me. It's really hard for me not to take advantage of opportunities to tell others, you know, this is my Savior who I love. I mean, that's what we're talking about. The person who who gives us everything, that we have nothing without who said, I don't care about how dirty and sinful you are. I forgive you, and I want you to have an eternity. And yet, I, if I'm not in a vibrant relationship with my Savior, I can easily say, you know, I'm not going to tell that person about Christ because they might reject me. Or they might laugh. Or I'm not going to show this person. I'm not going to go serve this person. I do the same thing as Peter. I just wasn't a disciple back in the day. So look at, look at Peter's response. This is the part I didn't read, but we can start in 72. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. The last part of this is, is that my reaction to betraying Jesus? Is that my reaction when I'm not proclaiming 
him with my life to others with my words? Am I so broken that I just weep knowing that I have denied my Savior? <laughs> we'll come back to that. I want to tell a story. I was, uh, I was praying about what, what else to talk about. And it's funny how when you're praying, you know, Jesus actually tells you some things. Uh, and, and I just remembered a story I hadn't heard in years and years, maybe 13, 14 years. And I wanted to go find it, so I looked on the internet and I found it. And I'm reading this in my office. And I'm reading this story, and I'm just bawling. I was just hoping nobody from the office would walk in. Although, people in my office have caught me crying at different times. So, shocker, I know. Um, so I'm reading this story, and I just want to tell you as quickly as I can this version of the story. Um, because it's so cool. It's so powerful, and it goes right along these lines. And it's a story from years and years and years ago that a missionary lady tells about a little slave girl in the Philippine Islands. So this missionary, she's during siesta time on the Philippine Islands. She would have all these kids come and she would teach them Bible classes. And there was this little girl who would keep showing up. And she didn't have anything. She was wearing uh, like a flower sack as her, as her dress. And, and she kept trying to, to reach out to this little girl and eventually, this little girl would start talking to her, and she said, my, my parents sold me to this uh, Spaniard because my dad had to settle a debt. And so I've been this slave girl for years and years with him. And he beats me, and, and at times he hangs me on a fence, and I feel like I'm going to die, and my heart hurts. And so the missionary lady was able to, to tell her who Jesus was, and this little girl saved. And she gets it. Like, she's really excited. She's saved, and she wants to go tell the master, the, the Spaniard, and uh, she tells him, and, and he says, you have no soul. You're a slave. You have no soul. You can't be saved, and, and so the little girl comes and tells the missionary lady. He says, I have no soul, and, and, and the missionary lady is able to point her to Christ, and it changes this little girl's life, and time goes on, and this little slave girl is so overwhelmed by her love for Jesus because she said he's the only one that's ever loved me. The only one that's ever loved me in my life. She's overwhelmed that she wants to do something for him. So a typhoon comes and hits the island and homes are destroyed and people are killed. And this little girl is on her front porch and floating by is this little pig. And she goes and she gets it out of the water and she thinks it's dead, but she nurses it back to life. And she comes and she shows the missionary lady, look what I found. It's the only thing that's ever been mine. And I asked all these people if it was theirs and no, nobody knows who, so I'm, it's mine. It's the only thing that's ever been mine. And she says, I want to eventually give this to Jesus because it's the only thing I've ever had. And so months go on. And she keeps growing in her faith. And she finally shows up one day with a much bigger pig and a bow wrapped around its neck. And the missionary lady says, today's the day, isn't it? She said, yep, I want to go give the pig for Jesus. She says, my, my master, is, it's his birthday tomorrow, and I think he's going to slaughter it so we can have a feast. Or he's going to sell it, but I want to give it. And so, so they go together, and they sell this pig, the only thing she's ever owned, this pig that's like her pet, and they use the money to buy Bibles and, and books 
for the people on the island so more people can know who Jesus is. And, and she's so proud that she was able to give up the only thing she's had. So a day goes by, and the little slave girl's not with the missionary the next day. Then two days go by, and she's still not there. Three days go by, she's not there. So the missionary lady starts becoming concerned, and she asks the other kids, have you seen her? And one little boy stands up and says, didn't you know when her master found out that she sold the pig and doesn't even have any money, he beat her so bad that she's lost an eye, and she thinks she's going to die. So the missionary takes off right away for her house. And sure enough, she finds this little girl laying under the porch, unconscious. And she goes and she takes her in her arms. And she's just bawling over this little girl. And the little girl regains consciousness. And she looks up at the missionary lady and she says, why are you crying? Why are you crying? She said, guess what? I'm about to be with my Savior. And I'm so excited. Because he's the only one that's ever really loved me. And I get to be with him. And then she says, will you, when I'm gone, will you pray that my master is saved? Because I'm all he has. And I really love him and I want him to be saved. <laughs> Her master who just beat her to death. She wants to pray that he would be saved. And so the missionary lady says, I have bitterness rising up in me over this man who just took the life of this little girl. And so the little girl passes away right there in the missionary's arms. And so she carries her through the front door to the Spaniard and says, this is what you did. Look at what you did. You took her life. He says, so what if I did? She doesn't have a soul. She says, you know she had a soul. And guess what the last words she said to me before she died were? Is that she loved you and she wanted me to pray for you that you would be saved. And she leaves. So the missionary lady is going to listen to this little girl's wish. And so she goes and grabs all the believers around and they're going to pray around the clock for this Spaniard. Non-stop they're praying. Day one, day two, day three, day four, guess who comes walking up to the missionary lady? The Spaniard comes walking up and he says, is there mercy for a horrible sinner like me? And she's able to tell him, you can be forgiven. You can have Jesus just like your slave girl. And in those moments, he's saved. And then he starts telling the others on the island and all his drinking buddies. And he's telling everyone around who this Jesus is. And this is around the time of Pearl Harbor. And so the Japanese are everywhere on the island. And they're, they're making people bow down to the Japanese emperor. And they find the Spaniard on the island. And they come to him. And they have guns. And they say, bow down to the emperor. And this Spaniard... Who, who beat this little girl to death, who found salvation, says, I will not bow to anyone but Jesus Christ. And they said, one more time, 
you bow or we're going to kill you. And he stood and said, I will not bow. And they took his life. And there he was with his Savior and with the little girl who, it, who cared so much that he be saved that eventually led to his own salvation. <laughs> Unbelievable story. That's, that's the faith of a little girl that, that really got it. And I think she gets it like we don't get it. She got her lostness. She got how much she didn't have. She got the fact that she needed a Savior to the point where she would give everything she has. To the point where someone who took away everything she has and took her life, she loved and wanted that person to have salvation. How many people in our own lives, our family, our friends, our coworkers, that have wronged us or have hurt us for years? Can we not come to the point of being able to say, I want them to know Christ and I'm going to show them love. I'm going to do everything I can. We will probably never... We'll probably never be standing at gunpoint being asked to deny Christ. Probably not. I don't know. We don't know where this world's going, but more than likely we're not going to be. We're not going to be standing before gunpoint, but we are going to be standing before our coworkers and our neighbors and our family and our friends and people that we come into contact with every day. We will be standing before them. And we will have opportunities to either proclaim Christ or turn around and walk away. Or to talk about something else. We will have opportunities with our actions to go serve and show them Jesus Christ here on earth. We've got these opportunities all the, all the time. And so I ask you the question, would you deny Jesus if somebody came to you with a gun or a sword and said they would kill you? Would you deny him? And some of us might have said no, and some of them might have said I don't know, and some of them might have said, you know, I might deny Jesus in that situation. But the reality is, I believe myself, and probably most of us, if not all, are denying Jesus all the time. Because we're talking about in our small group about how the Holy Spirit gives us opportunities. He, he, he places opportunities in front of us. We call them promptings or whatever. That here's, here's a family member that's coming to us saying they're, they're bothered in this way or they're hurt in this way or whatever. There's these opportunities that are right there in front of us and we have an opportunity to say, you know what, there's a place for freedom. There's a place that you can have healing. There's a place where you can go to where all your issues on earth will eventually go away. We have these coworkers that come and talk to us about their issues and their problems that are going on in their lives. And we have this opportunity to say, I've got an answer for that. But I think myself, I deny those opportunities all the time to show and proclaim Christ to others. And when I do that, I have denied my Savior. I've had an opportunity to show Christ to someone else, and I didn't take it, so I denied him. And even as I'm preparing for this message 
I'm not like Peter, and I'm not broken and weeping because of all the times that I've denied Jesus. I want us to be able to get that, that we have someone who cared so much for us that he would give everything, everything. He'd go to the cross. We're going we're gonna to hit Easter real soon here, and we're going to be talking just about that. He went to the cross for us. He gave us everything. Only person that never would hurt us or betray us. Yet, I'm not so overwhelmed to proclaim him when given the opportunity. In fact, I do the opposite, and I deny that opportunity over and over and again. So a challenge for you guys is, if you look at this denial of Peter, realize that when he was in the presence of Jesus, he was going to die for him. When he stepped away, when he wasn't right there, the littlest things could talk him out of proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's what I want you guys to do. Be in the presence of Jesus. Actively pursue relationship. Understand that this, this Savior gave us everything, everything, and spend time with him. So it comes to the point where no, who knows what's going to happen in your life? Who knows what opportunities will come your way? But we've got a crowd of people right here that if we are ready to go because we are in the presence of Jesus and we're going to proclaim Christ to anyone around us, lives will be changed. Uh, who knew that this little slave girl, just by, by being open to praying for her master who was horrible to her, would change his life and his life changed other people's lives. And this story's been told all over the place. And those story, that story has changed lives. So who knows that just you in one instant listens to that prompting from the Holy Spirit and says, wait, I know what can help you. <laughs> I know who can help you because it's changed my life. And in that instant, someone could hear about Christ for the first time and be changed. And then who knows what that person will go do? Disciples making disciples, followers making followers. It's not all on you. You just love Jesus, and so you want to proclaim him. I'm going to have Emily and Brent come up. We're going to sing a song that a couple of my close friends wrote and, and put on one of their CDs a long time ago. You guys know Dan and Georgie with The Ineloquent. Uh, this song was powerful to me. When I first heard it years ago, I got to sing it with them a long time ago. And, and at the time, it was just like, wow, Dan, you wrote that song? That's pretty cool. That's a good song. Over time, and as I, I studied this week, that song has become a lot more to me than just that. And so what I want you guys to be able to do is just sit back and listen. And, and take in these words and, and try to relate yourselves to, to what Dan's talking about, because he's not just talking about Peter denying Christ in this song. He's talking about our own response to Jesus and, and what we do. And after that song's over, you have an opportunity to, become, to come before your Savior, take the bread and the cup, and acknowledge to him that I've denied you many, many times, and I don't ever want to do it again. And you can confess that this morning. 
And so I pray that as, as we think about these words and we're challenged, that's something that we can start to change in our lives. And, and if you struggle with it so much, talk to somebody else. I know it's nice to have a small group that you can rely on each other, to pray for each other, to see a lot of cool things happen and victories take place for Jesus Christ. So think about those things as we sing this song. Ah. Uh -huh. 
Father God, we just thank you for salvation. Lord, we thank you that you, you hear these stories from us, that we deny you over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter to you because you love us and you see us for who we are. And Lord, I thank you so much again for salvation and forgiveness and for grace and for the fact that you let us come right back to you even though we've made these mistakes and though we've lived these lives that are apart from you, Lord, you welcome us back and you want to have relationship with us, Lord. So I just pray as we come and take the bread and the cup, Lord, that we'd be able to look at the sacrifice you made for us, Lord, and that we'd be so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed like Peter, that we'd be in tears and we'd be weeping before you, so sorry for what we've done, Lord. And we love you and we praise you. In your name, amen. Your never-failing love, you work everything for good. God, whatever comes my way, I will trust you. God, whatever comes my way, I will trust you. God, whatever comes my way, I will trust you. God, we know that there are going to be times when our faith is tested. God, when we're tempted to not stand with you, to deny you, God. And sometimes we deny you with our very actions and with our words, God. But I just pray, I pray your Spirit's power upon every heart in this room. God, to go from here and take the opportunities that your Holy Spirit gives to not rely on our own strength because in our own strength we will fail every time and so God as a church we say we want to rely on the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit within us God to not fear but to stand by you when we're asked that question what's more important your life to stand with Jesus. Jesus, come quickly. We love you. And we need you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.